Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Audio Podcast. In this podcast, I want to give you a little bit of insight to what I do sometimes with uh, public officials, candidates, CEOs, uh, athletes, people who are prominent, people who are visible, when I consult with them about their communications. And I've talked about this element of communication before because I want to center what I talk about today around the word tele, T-E-L-E. I've watched all the debates thus far. I've studied them. I've analyzed them. And I'm very intrigued by the comments I hear people making about the candidates in light of their presentations in these debates and also some of how they appear in news stories, uh, because a lot of uh, impressions are being formed now based on Tele, not so much the content of what people say, not so much their leadership record, but based on tele. I understand that a presidential campaign is something of what we call a beauty contest. It has to do with how you look. It has to do with how you appear. But you certainly don't want a presidential campaign to be entirely about that. Uh, Otherwise, you know, Brad Pitt would be president and everybody on the current slate would have to sit down. And we don't want that kind of politics. We don't want that to be the main criteria. Let me define this word tele and then I'll apply it to some of the candidates in this race. And I think you'll see what I'm talking about and why it's such a major thing. And by the way, I'm doing this for two reasons. I'm doing it on the one hand because I think it brings an important aspect of the presentation of our current presidential race and and, and certainly a dynamic that's going to be a major factor, but also for all of us who are in any kind of public or visible life or or in business in any way that we are visible and have to make presentations, military, education, what have you, this issue of tele is very, very important. The word tele, T-E-L-E, is simply the Greek prefix uh, that means something that is communicated long distance, something that is transmitted over a distance. It's why we get the word telephone, the word telegraph, uh, et cetera, telecommunications. All of that uh, is connected to the word tele, which means simply the transmission of something over a distance. Now, when it comes to communications consulting uh, and it comes to communications theory, the word tele more often refers to what is transmitted non-verbal verbally uh, about a person, about a speaker or a public individual. It can even be about logos and buildings and architecture and so on. But in our context, we're talking about individuals. The, the question really is what, is, what is the impression that is drawn from an individual when they simply step into the room saying nothing? Everybody transmits. Everybody transmits before they intend to. Everybody transmits without saying anything. It's simply the way that you are. It's the combination of your movements. It's the uh, along with your physical presence, along with your choice of clothes. And then maybe when you do start to speak, your mannerisms, your voice, the timing of your inflections. In other words, it's all the non-content, I mean by that verbal content, transmission that you create when you are on a public stage of some kind. And I want to say that it's that it's quite important stuff. Now, again, I'm not saying that 
the tele should be everything. And we have certainly had presidents who, if tele was even semi-important in their era, probably never would have been president. As I said before, Abraham Lincoln uh, was not known to be a good-looking man and kind of had a loping walk. And, you know, one guy said he dripped sadness as he walked and, uh, and he had a kind of a high, scratchy voice. His tele might have been horrible. Uh, Taft was 300 pounds. Others had facial tics and weird mannerisms and were known to be kind of mumble-mouthed and all that kind of thing. You always have some, you know, throughout history, you have many factors that might have kept someone from doing well in a video age. But the fact is we do live in a video age and this issue of tele is important. I hope it never becomes too important, but it simply is the way that it is in a television age and when you're talking about a race for the presidency. So when we're looking right now at the slate of candidates, let me start on the right Uh, You have some people who are very betrayed by their tele. And it's fascinating to me as I travel the country and as I speak a lot in media about this election, uh, the impressions people are gaining. If I do an interview with somebody, maybe you see it on CNN or this past week on uh, Fox or or CBN, um, there's lots of conversation that happens in the green room, lots of conversation that happens off camera, lots of combination conversation with everybody from cab drivers to the guy at the lunch counter. And, and I'm intrigued by how people are drawing impressions without even being able to cite the content of the candidate. In other words, the way they look, their mannerisms, this business of tele communicates so loudly that it's either positive or negative, regardless of what the person is saying. Well, Let's take some examples. I've already said in this podcast that I like Jeb Bush, and I'm surprised he hasn't done as well as he might. And so I paid very close attention to him in this last election. Um, Jeb Bush is very typical of someone who is a younger brother type within a family structure. He has a very dominant father. Uh, He has an older brother who's very successful. Now, he himself has been successful, but he's very typical of a child who's on the younger end of the scale in a a family uh, in that he is uh, the the pleader. He's the one who's on the outside looking eagerly into. Um, He has that kind of look. It's a bit of a wide-eyed, what's going on, interested look. His hands are often open in kind of a pleading, what's up manner. Um, His shoulders are rolled forward as though he's eager. Uh, What's up? What's going on? Oh my gosh, what happened? He has sort of that feel to him. Um, He can come across powerfully. Uh, He can do well, but being tall, being kind of stooped forward, uh, being rather dramatic with his hands and often having his hands wide and pleading, um, he seems exactly Uh, like what his birth order would create. Now, I know this is very psychological, and I'm certainly not saying that this is all there is to politics, but he's not doing well at all. He didn't get past 1% at Iowa. Um, He is shocking everyone. Um, I know one pundit who who was willing to bet me a steak dinner that Jeb Bush would not make it to the end of this week without dropping out. Um, it's very disappointing. And part of it is when he, when, when you pay attention to the polls, that people see him as weak, as outsider, as not in the central group and as overly desperate and pleading. And I think that a lot of this has to do with his tele. I'll have to say it didn't do him a lot of good to appear with his mother uh, it hasn't done him a lot of good to, uh, to appeal a great deal uh, to his mother. 
And often the younger side of the family, the younger children who are often pleading, eager to get in the middle, what's going on, what are you all talking about kind of vibe. Um, there's also a very strong anger factor, feeling excluded, feeling like they're not important. Um, they, tend to, they tend to have a kind of an anger at their dismissal. And Jeb Bush sort of goes back and forth between pleading and being angry. And again, I want to say that his tele is belying the quality that he really is. Even if he's not your candidate, even if you don't like him uh, as, as a political candidate, the fact is he's much better than, one, than a 1% performance at Iowa. And I thought it was rather semi-tragic this past week. He was making a speech up in New Hampshire. And at one point, he finally just said to the crowd, please applaud. Well, that is the constant pleading younger child. That is the mannerism, the body language, the tele of someone who feels themselves on the outside, is pleading for attention, and has that over-eager kind of, oh gosh, what's going on kind of thing, combined with the anger of rejection. Now see, do you see how his his tele is both belying him and accurately portraying some things that may not be the best uh, on stage. And I think that if he does drop out, it will imp- the story will in part be because of this betrayal of tele, uh, which is both accurate and uh, an exaggeration at the same time. Uh, let's talk about Dr. Ben Carson. Now, this is a highly intelligent man. Uh, this is a man who's one of the world gr- world's great Uh, surgeons. But a man like this, by definition, um, has to be something of an introvert. He has to be something of the quiet thinker. Think about a surgeon like him. He spends hours with his hands inside of people. He spends hours in in an operating room, everyone being very quiet as he holds organs in his hands and as he separates twins and as he does the amazing things he does, this gifted doctor. And by the way, there aren't that many African-Americans who are at that level Um, And that's not because African-Americans don't make great doctors. Please don't misread what I'm saying. Um, But you can imagine how adored he is uh, in an operating room. So they are quiet and he works in a quiet setting and he can speak very quietly and people will hear him and nurses and anesthesiologists will and fellow surgeons will immediately reply and immediately respond. Well, that's all fine. And that's what got him to where he is. And that's what got him adored. But But what's going on now is that his mannerism is exactly that of the intelligent, non-aggressive, non-demonstrative personality. Uh, He stands quietly with his hands folded often. He has a very quiet voice. Um, He has a rather meek manner. Now, he's not an idiot and he's not without passion, but his mannerism betrays him. I don't know if you saw this past week um, in one of the one of the big debates, there was an introduction of him on ABC and he didn't hear it well because the crowd was applauding. So he actually stayed in what I'll call the tunnel, the, the little curtained area proceeding from backstage onto stage. He stood there while the other candidates were introduced and they walked by him. Well, he had already been introduced. But he stood there to the side of this little tunnel, his hands crossed in front of him, his face composed, um, and he had already been introduced and they're they're going past him and his, his podium is empty 
and he didn't sort of step up. Uh, he hadn't heard. He didn't walk out. He didn't turn to anybody and say, do you want me out there? He didn't sort of take the situation over. Now, my point's not to criticize him. Criticize him. My point is to say that manner is projecting. And what I mainly hear from people uh, is that they say he's not a strong leader. Well, you know, I don't mean to be crass here or harsh, but these people have no idea what kind of leader he is. The man's never been, uh, other than in a medical situation, uh, a leader of any frontline organization. His leadership hasn't been tested, but they're drawing conclusions about him simply by his tele, his face, his clothes, his manner, his hands, the tone of his voice, etc., etc. When you combine that then with Donald Trump raining, raising some questions about uh, Dr. Carson's uh, biographies, and autobiographies, I'm sorry, and, and the things he's written about himself and questioning whether he's lied, well, it, he dropped in the, in the numbers dramatically. And a lot of this has to do with a kind of a Casper milk toast, as they say, gentle, retreating, introvert kind of demeanor, which I happen to know betrays the man who truly is. And as a final example, let's talk about Mark Rubio. Uh, Mark Rubio is young and he's good looking um, and he's a little bit new on the scene and he did very well in Iowa. He was the one who benefited the most from the rise in Iowa. But in the New Hampshire uh, GOP debate, um, he showed another side of him, which uh, again is only a matter of tele. But when Chris Christie was going after uh, Marco Rubio, Marco Rubio looked like the younger brother with hurt feelings. Um, he had this hurt, open mouth look on his face, wide-eyed, open mouth, and and that may be just the way he listens. I don't know. I've never sat with the man, but but he he it was as though he was, oh my gosh, why would you say that about me? Kind of look on his face. So he alternates between two tellas, and I mean to be insulting with neither of them. One is the golden boy, kind of a Kennedy-esque, good-looking, great family around him. Isn't this awesome? We're all here. and This is our moment. And then the other one is sort of a why are you picking on me kind of look. That's a kind of a younger brother, hurt, shocked, open mouthed, wide eyed uh, thing that makes him look, well, even younger than he is and certainly not strong, which, of course, was Chris Christie's whole point. So I'm not just describing sort of, uh, you know, physical mannerisms that are going to determine the, le- the election. I'm not stupid. I don't think that that alone does it. But at this stage, with so many candidates, so many, uh, you know, news flashes, such quick little appearances and news stories uh, on the air, people are drawing conclusions uh, based on tele. And often when I ask people who they like, uh, or if I name a candidate, I'll get one word, just one word that describes that person. Chris Christie, bully. Uh, I asked a cabbie about uh, Mr. Cruz. He said, Baptist preacher. Uh, this is how people are forming their impressions, positively or negatively. And so why am I telling you this? Well, first of all, for your own leadership, for your own presentation in public, and we all have one, um, it's good to look at yourself. It's also good to involve people in that analysis who are willing to tell you the truth. Everybody's got a manner. Everybody's got a style. Everybody's got a tele. And you have to interact with that as you speak, as you teach, as you lead, because who, what you're transmitting about yourself is part of your total presentation to those you're trying to impact. But the other thing I'm trying to portray 
and trying to explain is that in politics, and this is very consistent with Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink. If you haven't read it, I strongly recommend that you do. And that is that people tend to make decisions about other people very quickly and based largely on this matter of tele. And that is playing a huge role in the 2016 presidential election at this point. Um, it does in all human affairs, but in a video age with this, this particular slate of candidates, um, it's having a huge impact. And before I close, let me just mention, briefly mention the other side. Um, the, other, the, the Democratic debate between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton is fascinating to watch um, because you have Bernie Sanders, the kind of the very left-leaning, older uncle, kind of, you know, a little bit fuzzy, a little bit absent-minded professor, um, with his little bit of an accent, New England accent, and and um, just demonstrative and firm and opinionated. And people kind of like that. They kind of gravitate to that. It's kind of a figure in our culture that we know. What's interesting is the way that people are responding to Hillary Clinton because Bernie Sanders has put her on the defensive. Um, many people are describing her as being kind of harsh and kind of harsh in her retorts and overly defensive. And isn't it funny that politics puts someone on the defensive and then faults them for being on the defensive. Now, I'm not with, with Mrs. Clinton uh, politically, but as a, as a person who analyzes presentation styles and speaking and, and the way people conduct themselves on stage, um, it's interesting to me that she's being lambasted for being exactly what the process makes her do, which is defend yourself. That's what the entire process has been saying. Defend yourself. The one other thing that I want to say about Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton uh, is that they are uh, two very iconic personalities in American culture. The, um, the professional woman type who often gets labeled a bitch, often gets accused for uh, being overly harsh uh, and being authoritarian and being uh, inappropriately domineering. And then the fuzzy uncle type who can get away with almost anything. And I don't, I'm not making a choice between Bernie Sanders and um, Hillary Clinton, but I'll tell you that they are playing out archetypical roles in our culture that are known for uh, tension, are known for conflict, and are very familiar to many people. The, the older uncle in a family and the young, younger sort of middle-aged mom in a family are uh, known for having their tensions and known for having issues. And that's playing out now on a culture wide level. It's going to be very, very interesting to watch. So keep an eye on this business of Tela in your own life and leadership, but also keep an eye on this business of Tela in the current race. It is playing a huge role at this stage. We are hoping that substance comes front and center sooner than later. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times best-selling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and The Miracle of the Kurds. His new book is Ask the Question, Why We Must Demand Religious Clarity from Our Presidential Candidates, available on Amazon. Learn more about Stephen at stephenmansfield.tv. The Stephen Mansfield Podcast is directed by Isaac Darnell, who also wrote, produced, and performed the podcast theme song. This is a Chartwell Literary Group production.